0: Back in our last episode, we found out that spinning up a whole new lithium mining industry in the United States to help get us off fossil fuels is going to be tricky.
1: These people couldn't be transparent if their life depended on it. At
2: what cost are we the sacrifice for that cost?
3: My life is devoted to stopping this mine right
0: now. And spending the summer driving around the desert, hearing everyone fighting with each other while it's literally record-breaking heat and smoke-filled air feeling like the world is ending, I couldn't stop thinking about this sci-fi book by Neal Stephenson called Seven Eves. This, by the way, happens a lot. I'm a big sci-fi nerd, and sci-fi is actually what got me thinking about the climate solutions of the future. So in Seven Eves, the moon disintegrates for unknown reasons, and the debris in the atmosphere causes the oceans to boil and everything to burn on Earth. About 1,500 people escape to space to start a new civilization. And spoiler alert, even when there are only 1,500 people left in the whole galaxy, they still manage to fight and have a war and literally almost go extinct because they could not stop being humans. And I don't bring that up to be pessimistic or bleak, but only to point out that this podcast is also about that. About how we keep acting in irrational ways, even when it's terrible for us as a whole. I'm Molly Wood. This is How We Survive, a podcast from Marketplace about how finding solutions to the climate crisis is a messy business. This is episode two, The Necessary Evil. Mining is a pretty easy villain in general. It tears up land, it displaces animals and kills plants, it can pollute and poison, it's dangerous work, and the workers aren't always well protected. But also, most of our modern life wouldn't be possible without it, and the massive transition to green energy that we will need to beat back the climate crisis also might not be possible without it. Remember, all those batteries we'll need to store renewable energy will be made mostly from lithium. And the only way to get that lithium right now is to extract it from the earth. And so far, mining lithium around the world has involved a lot of the same old resource extraction issues we are all too used to. Poor people and indigenous communities are suffering. Working conditions are dangerous. The mining itself is damaging habitats and ecosystems and people. So we wondered... Isn't there a better way? We spent the last episode in Nevada hearing how messy the Thacker Pass mining proposal is there. Well, turns out lithium mining is pretty messy everywhere it's happening. And you know what's a really fun place to learn about metals extraction and international politics is TikTok. And in certain corners of TikTok, lots of people are really upset with Elon Musk. Friendly reminder that Elon Musk is a maniac.
3: God, to a bit of fly on the wall in the room with Elon Musk when Bolivia's election results came in.
1: Guys, is he hot or did he help fund the 2019 fascist coup in Bolivia just to get some lithium for his Tesla
4: batteries?
2: You can read more about this in my new book, Elon Musk Can Suck It.
0: Musk is of course the CEO of Tesla, the electric car maker, also the seller of solar panels, home battery backup systems and massive battery installations meant to support renewable energy on power grids. All these batteries for our cars and homes and the grid, they're all made mostly out of lithium. So this dude needs a lot of lithium. And as it happens, there's a lot of lithium in South America, not just Bolivia. Chile, Argentina, and Bolivia together are known as the Lithium Triangle. The three countries actually house as much as 60% of the world's lithium reserves. And lithium extraction there has been super controversial, between accusations of environmental damage, violating the rights of indigenous communities, and even maybe this crisis. Coup. After long time, President Evo
5: Morales resigned Sunday following what he described as a military coup. Bolivia has been the scene of let's weeks start of in
0: progress. Bolivia round about 2019. Morales had cut off foreign access to that country's huge reserve of lithium during his presidency. When he was kicked out of office in 2019, he said the U.S. government had backed the coup. And then in 2020, when someone accused Elon Musk of being part of the Bolivian coup, he tweeted, We will coup whoever we want. Deal with it. Yeah, cue the TikTokers. Musk said it was just a joke. He deleted the tweet. Who can say with Mr. Musk? But the story illustrates the danger in a new gold rush focused on lithium. Even if the end goal of using lithium for batteries could be a net good, Is it really positive if it's also totally unjust? Back in the lithium triangle, Bolivia's neighbor Chile has become the second largest exporter of lithium in the world, after Australia. In northern Chile, in the Atacama Desert, the lithium is pulled out of dry, salty lake beds called salars, which are ringed by high mountains.
2: Some of those mountains are volcanic many of those mountains have specific spiritual and symbolic meanings to
0: the indigenous communities that live around the salt flats. Thea Riofrancos is a political scientist who teaches at Providence College in Rhode Island. She studies the social impacts of the renewable energy transition. And she's spent a lot of time in Chile looking at these lithium mines and, of course, the land around them, which she says is stunning. The salt flat, the high desert mountains...
2: And then on top of that, The flamingo, of course. There are these pink flamingos, which are Andean flamingos. They're endemic to the region.
1: The neon pink birds sift through the salty waters with their specialized beaks as they search for food.
2: They're just like chilling out there, calmly snacking on these different organisms that live on the salt flats. And they're just the most beautiful, elegant, light pastel pink birds
0: you've ever seen. I kind of can't get enough of the flamingo part of this. However, the situation around the lithium mines is hardly calm. In 2019, there were violent protests over economic inequality and resource extraction that actually shut down the lithium mines. Indigenous people in the Atacama Desert have complained about the environmental impacts of the mines. Some of the companies operating in Chile have been accused of taking more water than they're allowed. Others have been accused of human rights abuses in other types of mines elsewhere. And apparently, it's bad for the flamingos too. There's a similar story unfolding in Argentina, where roughly 30 indigenous communities have sued over lithium mining projects in that country. And when it comes to who's buying most of that lithium, China actually controls 51% of the world's supply, and it's making deals all over the world. Experts told us most of China's extraction and battery production has been coal-powered, meaning the batteries it's producing come with a huge carbon cost. Oh, and one more international wildcard? It turns out one of the world's largest lithium reserves might actually be in Afghanistan, and China is reportedly hoping to exploit it if it can make a deal with the newly in-charge Taliban. So it all comes back to this question of whether there's a better way. Thea Rio Franco says when you look at how lithium is extracted and batteries are built,
2: you get a picture of um, a lot of resource use and oftentimes also exploitative and unethical um, work working conditions and treatment of local communities and this for me brings to the forefront some of the most important dilemmas facing us along the the energy transition which is you know how do we make this energy transition as globally just as possible
0: she means just as in justice this idea of environmental justice and specifically a just transition is a relatively new but really important part of the climate conversation see the effects of the climate crisis are often felt most and soonest in poorer neighborhoods and countries Thea says the lithium-rich Atacama Desert in Chile is a perfect example of this paradox. For a local community
2: in the Atacama region, that trade-off is kind of a nonsensical one because they're simultaneously experiencing pretty intense effects of climate change. And they're experiencing the effects of the extraction related to the energy transition to stave off climate change, right? So they're like experiencing both ends of that.
0: One way to potentially do both, according to some people, is to reverse the massive economic phenomenon of the last half century and to move from outsourcing to insourcing. That is, insource the dirty extractive industries that rich countries have been pushing offshore. And inshoring might benefit the U.S. in other ways, since right now this country produces just a tiny fraction of the lithium it uses. And I'm starting to wonder how fast that will change or if it'll really be that much better. So let's tackle this question, starting with the idea that mining in the U.S. is better than in the rest of the world. Nevada, where that controversial proposed lithium mine is, well, it's always been a mining state. So to get an idea of how the industry in Nevada works and how mining companies there present themselves these days, we went to a gold mine. Located along the Humboldt River Basin of northern Nevada, the Marigold Mine is much more than one
1: of the largest employers in the region. It has become a much valued neighbor to the... This
0: is the Marigold SSR Gold Mine in Nevada, a 32-year-old open pit mine located three hours east of Reno, where safety is a really big deal.
1: The single most important thing is that all personnel are safe for
0: life. We got a tour from Don Dwyer. Hey, Kevin, uh, this is Don. We're going to do a small little uh, walk around and get some pictures. Copy that, thanks. And Tyree Gray, the president of the Nevada Mining Association. And let me tell you, everything about the Marigold Mine is at a scale that's kind of impossible to even comprehend. And these guys know it.
6: We always tell people you can't appreciate mining until you see it close. And so you're getting ready to walk up to, you know, a. Three, four-story house, right? Yeah. <laughs> on wheels, so it's uh, it's impressive.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this is the 320-ton haul truck. This is one of our Komatsu Dash 4s. So these are, like, the world's biggest dump trucks. You can see them from a mile away as you approach the mine, but the big open pit itself is so big that they look like queen ants on an anthill with little worker ants driving all around them. It's kind of overwhelming. Also, I can't lie; those huge trucks are pretty awesome. Tyree also told me people tend to have an image of mining that's more like Yosemite Sam.
3: Great horny toes.
0: That old cartoon character.
3: Ja, ja, ja.
6: Some guy walking around with a you know a stick of dynamite and a and a pickaxe and a burro, <laughs> versus what you'll see here is really high end, uh, a lot of drone technology, sophisticated. Um, mapping systems and really impressive equipment.
0: Mining these days, Tyree says, is high-tech, highly regulated, and safe. He told me more than once that working in a mine is safer than working in a school or a hospital, which kind of yikes. It is also, however, extremely violent.
3: We blast Monday to Thursday.
0: Here's Dawn. And so we have a crew specifically uh, assigned to doing those tasks. Don says those crews map out a series of holes and drop down some explosives, which is a little Yosemite Sam, if I'm being honest. And four days a week, they create a giant explosion to make open pits big enough to scoop out dirt laced with tiny, tiny pieces of gold. Don says, oh, people love blasting day. That's a pretty thrilling experience, so if you're ever able to come back out and tour again, we can uh, certainly make that happen. I'm really torn here between the, like, 14-year-old boy inside me that is so thrilled by this and the part that's like, dude, that is a lot of destruction. (laughs) It is a lot of destruction. Even a mine that touts its safety and responsibility like this one is still digging a huge hole in the ground. And it's dangerous. Two miners were killed at the Marigold Mine in an accident in 2017. And an environmental advocate and industry watcher told us it's impossible to say that the runoff from the mine isn't contributing to area pollution, and contaminated tailings from the mine will sit there in a pile for decades, maybe even forever. And at the same time, says Tyree, Mining is a necessary component to life, period. He says most people don't see it up
6: close like this or realize that Mining is the first link in the chain of all technological advancements that man have made. Um, so, what is mean, mean, What do
0: they say? What is not? Anything that's not grown is mined. Right. Yeah.
6: And I mean that's something that
0: a lot of people have to be reminded of. I turned the topic to the lithium projects in Nevada, specifically this Thacker Pass project and all the controversy. Tyree told me mining projects are always a bit controversial, but it's still better to dig the lithium here than anywhere else.
6: The issue is that we have a duty to make sure that we're extracting in a way that is responsible um, and that is sustainable. And we do it better here in Nevada than anybody else does it. And so by opposing mining in Nevada, you somewhat unintentionally, implicitly say it's okay for it to be mined elsewhere that doesn't have the same environmental standards, doesn't have the same civil standards.
0: People definitely debate whether U.S. regulations are as strong as they should be or whether they're followed by every mining operation. But... When it comes to the Thacker Pass lithium mine, we did find people who think the trade-offs are worth it. Well, to be fair, the first person we talked to who really supports the mine was suggested to us by Lithium Americas, the company itself. Elisa Fogel is a motel owner in the little town of McDermott, Nevada, north of the protest camp and the little town of Orvada and the Fort McDermott Reservation. And even though I knew she supported the Thacker Pass mine— I was still surprised when she said this when I asked what she thought of Lithium Americas. They're winning the hearts and minds, in my opinion. I mean, she is definitely the only person we've heard say that. Come on in. We visited Elisa at her home in McDermott.
5: My undergraduate degree is in music. I'm a lawyer, but my undergraduate was in music. She was playing
0: Beethoven, showing off her collection of of African art and wearing a Colbert Stewart 2016 T-shirt. Listening to Beethoven 5... All right,
5: there we go. <laughs> Have a seat wherever you like.
0: Elisa owns the Diamond A Motel in McDermott, which is about a five-minute drive from the reservation. She says she supports the mine because the climate crisis needs fixing. You're here at an, at, in my opinion, at a kind of an unbelievably propitious or prescient time. The day we visited Elisa, fires were raging nearby, and McDermott was in the midst of an unusually early heat wave both of which had contributed to a power outage that lasted the whole night before we got there.
5: That was the longest power outage we've ever had here
0: as long as I've been here, which is about 20 years. Elisa says the climate crisis in the form of wildfires, heat waves, and drought is the reason she's a big supporter of the mine. She says she actually approached Lithium Americas and offered to be a spokesperson after she saw a news report one day in May that she thought only focused on the opposition. And I
5: just thought, you know something, there maybe needs to be somebody around here who can actually talk about why most of the people around here are in favor of the mine happening. And so
0: I said, I'll volunteer, I'll be that guy. Elisa says, first of all, the U.S. needs to be producing its own lithium.
5: We need to be keeping that production here in the U.S. and not have to be dependent on getting it from... China, and not at their mercy um, for having to buy lithium. So it's,
0: it's like, get it here and keep the jobs here, keep the production here. And second, keeping jobs and production here is good for the local economy. And you bet, for her business at the motel too. She told me she's been considering building an RV park on the lower portion of her property, which would be good timing for Lithium Nevada because they'll have up to a 1,000 workers coming to the area to construct the mine.
5: They love the idea of me putting in some RV spaces because they're going to have to have places for people to live who are doing the construction.
0: So it's a win-win here, at least. And even if it sounds a little more like self-interest and a little less like worries about the climate crisis, I mean, it's not like anyone wants a mine for the aesthetics. Of course it's economics, and you can't really blame her for wanting to benefit. But if the climate crisis is just part of Elisa Fogel's support for the mine, it's the reason for Glenn Miller, a professor of natural resources and environmental science at the University of Nevada, Reno. We met for a late afternoon beer in downtown Reno, near the city's surprisingly nice AAA baseball stadium.
4: you uh, probably noticed that there's not uniform opinions on we the mine. But uh, the bottom line is, is in my opinion, This lithium mine is is very important to do a United States part for transportation.
0: Glenn Miller is about the last person you'd expect to hear speaking in favor of a mining project. He's devoted his life to environmental causes. He worked to clean up toxic mining operations and gasoline contamination in Lake Tahoe. He's published research about how methane released from fracking can make water undrinkable. And back in the 90s, he founded the Great Basin Resource Watch an environmental justice nonprofit based in Reno. Earlier this year, the Great Basin Resource Watch, along with several other conservation groups, filed a lawsuit challenging the federal government's approval of the mine. And Glenn shocked everyone by stepping down from the organization, the one he founded and ran for decades, because he says lithium is
4: just too important for our survival. My sermon is, uh, transportation is about 15 to 30 percent of climate change, carbon dioxide, release. And maybe 15 to 20 is actually automobiles. And a lot of that can be can be mitigated with, with lithium batteries. So I'm a big fan of uh, batteries and I'm a big fan of lithium. Glenn Miller doesn't own
0: a motel or a grocery store. He isn't gonna make any money if the mine goes through. And he just risked his professional reputation to support, of all things, more mining in Nevada. His voice carries some weight. And he says as a nation, we have a responsibility to source as much of this material domestically as we possibly can.
4: We better be in part of all of the uh, efforts of, of mining, of, of metal recovery, and any production if we have it available.
0: Plus, he says, the mine being proposed at Thacker Pass, let's just say it could be a lot worse.
4: It is not as problematic as other ones I've seen by quite a bit. It's a big mine. It's impacting. That community of Oravada is going to change. But overall, climate change is just running amok. And that is, that is the most important issue facing the world today.
0: So this, according to Glenn, might not be the best way to get where we need to go in terms of getting off fossil fuels and barfing way less carbon into the atmosphere. But it's got to be done. And Lithium Americas is saying it's trying to do lithium mining better than anywhere else. So after the break, we'll visit their lab to find out if that's true. And in a bland little office park in Reno, about three hours west of all the drama at Thacker Pass... Lithium Nevada says it's perfecting the process of getting lithium out of the Nevada mountain clay. I'm Molly. Yeah, hi, Molly. Hi. Nice to see you, Tim. Nice to see you. Bye, we got a tour from Ryan Ravenall, the lead chemical engineer, and Tim Crowley, the VP of communications and policy at Lithium Americas. And I was really interested to get a peek inside a company that a lot of people in Orvada don't trust. I'll let you go first there. Oh, okay. Ryan and Tim showed me all the reasons why, they say, the mining project at Thacker Pass is really responsible. For example, when they create sulfuric acid, they make steam power, says Ryan. So we convert a significant portion into electricity that then gets fed back to our plants. The mine will use only a few alfalfa fields worth of water and, says Tim. Most of it will be used in the plant and will be recycled over and over. And and that recycling is done here. And actually, Tim says, Lithium Americas has mining rights all over the mountains in northern Nevada and decided not to mine all over the place because of the environment.
3: That's why we're at Thacker Pass, where we're away from
0: the sage-grouse habitat. We're away from the trout habitat. Plus, says Crowley, instead of leaving a huge hole in the ground forever, Lithium Nevada will restore the land it digs up over the next 40 years as the mine operates. Gotta say, it was all sounding great. But... Here's where that humans being humans thing comes into play, because right as I was starting to feel like Lithium Americas is just misunderstood, my producer Haley passed me a note on her phone. It said Tim was recording us on his phone without telling us. Back in the parking lot, we were pretty surprised.
3: So for real though? Yeah, no, for real. He was recording us the whole time.
0: Tim didn't do anything illegal. You don't need two-party consent to record in Nevada. But as a journalist, when a company does something in a situation like this that seems off or kind of non-transparent, it's just surprising. Luckily, it wasn't long before we got a call with Tim's boss. Jonathan Evans is the CEO of Lithium Americas, the parent company of Lithium Nevada. We had this interview That we did at the lab and it was a lovely tour and we all came away thinking like this is really a pretty responsible mining project and this was a lovely visit. And then right at the very end, our producer noticed that Tim had been recording us on his phone without telling us. And I wonder like, what do you make of moments when you can build trust and maybe don't?
3: Well, I, I just be careful you're with the press, um, this story and all of this uh, is one where I don't think both sides of the story has been told.
0: The way John sees it, the narrative around all of this has been unfairly characterized.
3: So it's like big corporate America is coming in to bulldoze things and the facts aren't brought out.
0: So is it, so you feel like the recording really was about preserving the record? Like saying, however this turns out at the end, when the story comes out, this is what was actually said?
3: Exactly. It's difficult when um, it puts people on the defensive. And then you're afraid to what you would say because people, things are taken out of context on purpose. Mm-hmm. So it, it's no, definitely no offense. But we've been burned a couple times and so have a lot of other companies in our shoes.
0: John says he's frustrated and he believes the mine can make a real difference in getting the country off fossil fuels. But the main message from our interview is that he's not backing down. Usually when I talk to CEOs, they're on message, they're careful, they speak in generalities. But mining is a rough business and Lithium Americas has a lot riding on this project because it's a publicly traded mining company with no mines and currently no revenue. Lithium Americas has two mining operations in development, this Thacker Pass mine in Nevada and one in Argentina. And not for nothing, it's in a partnership with one of China's biggest mining companies. So John's take is that the company is trying to engage with the community, but...
3: We live in a democracy, right? So not everybody's going to, going to uh, like things at the end of the day. We're looking for a majority of people that are, are happy and for the folks that have questions to answer all their questions and mitigate any of their concerns. But I think it's impossible to get 100% of the people happy all the time. If I was going to build a mall next to your house, you might not like it. Other people might like it.
0: I asked him about one rancher I talked to who wants the company to compensate him if the mine takes too much water, which could potentially ruin his business.
3: I think all he wanted, hey, I'll, I'll characterize this as a shakedown. So I don't believe any of the data you have, so just pay me.
0: Wow. It really has gotten pretty intense, huh? Uh, and,
3: and we've been very polite. Um But we also have to defend ourselves as well.
0: Not backing down. John mostly dismisses the concerns about Thacker Pass being indigenous burial grounds, too, and says all that opposition is coming from Max Wilbert and Will Falk, the activists who started the protest camp last January.
3: I'm not quite sure what they're trying to prove, uh, except perhaps to be a professional activist.
0: And actually, John says he thinks plenty of people on the Fort McDermott Reservation want
3: the mine. The gauge I use is the amount of folks that we've had apply. I think the tribe's about 300 people. uh, And we've had over 40 people apply for jobs.
0: At the end of the day, says John, there's always a little bit of a fight when you're spinning up a new mine. But he says, in his view, the mine is still on track to start construction in 2022. So with that in mind, let's revisit what we know about where this project stands. Right now, there's a lawsuit filed by a coalition of environmental groups to try to stop the mine on environmental grounds. And over the summer, a coalition of tribal members joined that lawsuit and asked for an injunction to stop Lithium Nevada from doing an archaeological dig to see what remains or artifacts might be in the ground. A federal judge in Reno ruled against that request in August, but she made it clear in her ruling that she is sympathetic to the argument from the tribes if they can mount a legally coherent argument. And while this project in Nevada is moving forward with lots of support from the Trump administration, the Biden team does seem to think there's a better way to extract lithium than the way we've always done things. We've
1: got to realize, though, that we're in a moment where we must move fast and we've got to do it in a responsible and sustainable way.
0: This is Jennifer Granholm, the U.S. Energy Secretary, and she says we shouldn't go so quickly that we end up doing things the same old ugly way.
1: If the United States can crack the code on mining lithium in a responsible way that respects the environment and the people um, and the land and the water, if we can do that, then we will have created an irresistible market, not just in the United States, but globally as well. All these other countries are looking for responsibly produced lithium, responsibly produced critical minerals. And if we can do it, and, and we are in the best position to be able to do it as a nation, then we should go for it. But making sure that it is done in a responsible way, you're right uh, in suggesting that that means
0: it's got to go more slowly. But I wonder what you mean when you say crack the code. Like what parts might be missing?
1: Well, first of all, it's got to be done in partnership with the community and in, and recognizing that if you um, are are trampling over, you know, the, the, the lands that um, have, that are tribal lands or that are um, burial lands or, you know, then, then you might want to think, you, then you should think twice about it. We want to do this in a way that respects, respects the history, respects people, and certainly respects tribal and indigenous lands. Um, you have to do it in a way that does not suck up all the resources like water in an arid environment. Um, you know, making sure that this is done right is critical for our own competitiveness. We want to get the lithium clearly, but you can do it in a way that doesn't um, you know that doesn't hurt the the people, the land, and the history.
0: You sort of sound like you might have some concerns about that Nevada project. I do. Mm. That concern probably doesn't mean much for the Lithium Americas project, but it might suggest that future proposals will get a little more scrutiny. And in fact, there is a project that Granholm and others think have the potential to deliver lithium and benefits to the community in a way that the community actually wants. Possibly a better way. That is in Southern California, in an amazing and fascinating and devastated part of the state called the Salton Sea. We're going to visit there a little later in the season, but before we go there, let's do a little reminder that at best, we've got 10 years to make a massive reduction in the amount of carbon we're putting into the air or face a planet that may eventually be uninhabitable. Maybe not as bad as that sci-fi book I was talking about way back in the beginning of the episode, you know, Seven Eves, but with heat and drought and flooding and sea level rise that do make huge parts of it unsurvivable. So next week, we'll take a deeper look at why lithium and batteries and electrifying our economy are so important and so life-saving.
6: The question is like, not if, like this is definitely going to happen. The question is like, how do we do all of this in time to avoid the worst impacts of climate change?
0: That's next time on How We Survive. How We Survive was created and hosted by me, Molly Wood. Haley Hirschman produced this episode with help from Marque Green and Grace Rubin. Haley and I wrote it. Caitlin Ash is our senior producer. She edited this episode with help from Katherine Winter and Peter Thompson. Scoring and sound design is by Chris Julin, mixing by Brian Allison. Field engineering is by Liana Squilacci and Drew Jostad. Sitara Nieves is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Wonderly. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't and tell a friend.